Welcome to Solutions Cast, a CFC podcast that highlights cooperative network projects and leader stories, as well as economic and energy industry insights. I'm your host, Christine Pachenik. In the second half of this two-part episode, Infrastructure Planning as a Team Sport, we explore the importance of technology and operations in infrastructure planning. If you missed part one, you can find it on your favorite podcast app or visit www.nrucfc.coop solutions. Joining us now are Lee Nordby, Director of Operations, and Kurt Court, Director of Engineering from the Wright-Hennepin Cooperative Electric Association team. Nice to be here. Thanks for having us. For both of you, we're going to dive a little more specifically into the operations and the technology side of this. So I know we got an overview of the strategic vision, right? Tim has a big strategic plan that he works on with the board, how that works into the financial plan that Brian is a big part of. But then up front, you both are actually very involved in this, correct? Yeah, we from the engineering standpoint, we help lay out the construction planning part of this. So we look at the long-range planning on that end, and Lee, your guys do... We get to go out there and execute the work. So uh, making sure that we have people in place um, that we're successful on our plan forward. And Tim isn't sitting here, but he gave us some insight into just how much work that you are looking at probably in the next 10 years you are undertaking a very large amount of capital expenditure. I imagine that's going to affect you and your teams greatly. Let's talk a little bit about the basics. What do you see as part of long-term planning? What does that really encompass? Christine, from an engineering perspective, what we end up looking at is a, we do what we're calling a 10 to 15 year long range construction plan, where we try to look out, I'll just use the term 10 years, of what our future outbuild is, kind of how Tim mentioned in a strategic vision. And what we end up doing is we look at projects, we look at new growth, we look at various other items, age and condition of our system and our infrastructure. Then we, what we do is we condense that from a long range 10 year plan down into what we classify as a rural utility service required construction work plan, which is a four year term. In that four-year window is what we set up as our projects for that next four-year build-out, and we review what the long-range plan is put in front of us, and if it still applies, we move forward. Then our final step is we set up a one-year budget, which then in tune puts us into the next year or our current year's budget plans on how we're going to build this out, and then it's at that point, between me and Lee, we've worked together to develop a plan of work for Lee's group and um, how we unveil everything. All right, Lee, it sounds like he's passed the ball to you. <laughs> what do you do with that? Overall, we we look at how much work's ahead of us, um, how we're going to execute it. Do we have enough staffing plans? Is it going to just be clipping a, a peak of you know construction load? Do we look at the contracting side of it from that standpoint? Or are we able to utilize all in-house help? Just ensuring we're able to execute the plan that Kurt puts forward, being able to keep up with the new services and uh, new construction as well. You both mentioned the work and probably labor involved, right? More employees, making sure you're managing more teams. What does that look like on your end? Yeah, as we continue to develop uh, our plans forward, uh, we, we definitely look at the man hours that it's going to take to get the work done. 
is it going to be more boring costs from a contract side of things? Or is it going to be more internal, let's call it uh, line rebuilds that we have our local crews working on? Um, and then kind of just slice and dice it that way and keep continue to, to move forward on on uh, what kind of plan that that looks like, uh, making sure, again, that we're executing the work that's in front of us. How are you tracking your development for your forecast? You know, you have build-out, substation, aging infrastructure. You've really done a great job, I think, of detailing out this 10 to 15-year plan that then gets reviewed, what, maybe every five years, it sounds like. And then you have a four-year work plan that drills down into a one-year budget plan. What are you doing to make sure that you're on track with that? We actually have a inspection process. We do a line inspection annually where we look at our overhead line. Then we are extensively looking at our underground infrastructure, reviewing cabinets and looking at other things along that lines. And then we keep an eye on our growth, our developments, housing developments and commercial development coming in. And then we take a look at how we anticipate building that out as we go. We deal with a lot of road expansions because of the development of the system. People come, houses come, and then the roads need expanding. And typically we lie in the public right away on those type of things. So we have to keep expanding on our infrastructure that way. Those are all really great points that you have. One thing I do want to dive into, you talk about a lot of area growth. And Lee, you must know your territory inside and out. How do you plan for where that growth is happening? Where are you seeing the various areas of development? Can you talk a little bit about that agriculture versus maybe freeway corridors and CNI accounts? How does that all fit into the picture for you? We're right in the sets. We're on the, the northwest side of the Minneapolis, St. Paul, Twin Cities area, and we're in the suburban growth area of the western side. So uh, we have several different methods of tracking how our buildouts are occurring. And we have several staking engineers that are in touch with a lot of the cities. We also have several key account people that monitor our current accounts to make sure we're serving them correctly. There's a lot of people here at Right Hampton that do have essential services to help provide us the information to move forward with our development and future buildout. Now, I do want to switch a little bit to the technology side. How does the changing of technology, especially this rapid change, impact what the planning is for this? Definitely an interesting question there. That's at top of mind with us at Right Hennepin. From that standpoint, uh, you think about back years ago that the state of the art was just SCADA, getting stuff from, back from your breakers, uh, one-way electron flow. Now in today's day and age with the technology advancements that we've seen just in the last five to 10 years has been quite amazing uh, from going to SCADA to a distribution management system to DERMS. And it's all still evolving today. And now it's starting to use AI to start touching to the end of your feeders to ensure that, uh, you know, if you make this action, this action could potentially dip your voltage lower in your more rural areas, or maybe even your high dense areas where you have a lot of industrial load. Then also being able to bring in that AMI data to overlay on your distribution management system, which at that point in time, you can start possibly seeing some, maybe some more overloads um, and all that on your transformer, or just when you need uh, grid updates. Uh, when I say that, maybe bigger wire um, on your feeder lines or just even on some of your taps. 
and then you you start talking about your derms we've not yet um implemented that but we're we're definitely getting a point of view and and a path forward on our our derm side of things of trying to look more at that two-way electron flow how is that going to impact our grid and uh, our overall system infrastructure so i'm glad you brought that up that actually was right where i was going to go was uh, derms that type of technology for the future looking idea of a virtual power plant so it looks like that is kind of the direction that you're potentially looking at on your system. Yeah, that's a correct statement because, you know, as, as well as I do, power costs are continuing to rise, uh, especially you want a flexible grid. So you want to see what you can do from that standpoint. It provides some savings to our membership from a standpoint of being able to clip that peak. When I say the peak, you know, that greatest point in time in that month that uh, your power costs are the highest it's huge to be able to clip that peak and uh, not run too much, but not run and miss the peak. So that forecast modeling, we're really looking forward to. Plus looking at the distribution side of things from um, how much penetration you have from a DER standpoint and and seeing where we kind of sit there uh, from that standpoint, whether it be safety of the crews or just the impact that you have uh, within your infrastructure. One word that I keyed in on as you were talking was flexibility. Yeah, because really as, as we kind of progress down that path, you got to be more agile. It's, it's not just one-way electron flow going from your breaker to the, the member's meter into the house. It could be coming from the member's house, out past the meter into the transformer onto your grid. So kind of monitoring that and, and giving us more eyes and ears out there of uh, what we are forecasting and what impacts it does have. So as we know, cybersecurity is a top concern at any co-op. How are you selecting your technologies, and what are the most important factors you need to consider at your co-op? You know, from a, a cybersecurity standpoint, uh, as that's at top of mind for everybody, when you are selecting your technology space, whether it be on operations or whether it be for some sort of member-based data, I would say that you want to make sure to have a robust cybersecurity policy there and make sure that it aligns with your strategic focus and really look into that as you know we go forward and select our software. So how do you align your strategic vision down to what you're choosing from a technology standpoint and kind of the software that goes along with that and how that flows into even the cybersecurity aspect? So from the, the cybersecurity standpoint, uh, when we are selecting our piece of software, we have it embedded within our uh, RFP, some of the standards that we have here at WH. And then also our IT department does a, a fantastic job of making sure that they vet the software prior to even you know selecting any of them. Really meeting one-on-one possibly with some of their executives to just ensure our alignment uh, as WH and the vendor that we're possibly going, going to select and their vision for their future and the vision for ours are, are matched up and uh, well communicated. Excellent. Great insights. Are there any kind of exciting technologies you would say that your co-op is planning on implementing as part of your current infrastructure plan? Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of um, exciting things happening at Right Hennepin from a 
right now we're going through a, a SCADA upgrade uh, with another vendor. And with that same vendor, we've put things in place now or uh, plans in place, I should say, for a long-term grid build out from a technology standpoint. And what does that look like? It, it gives us a, a roadmap from our start to finish and, and where we wanna be five years from now. What does that look like? It looks like our distribution management system. How do we become more resilient? Um, how do we see more into our grid? And then, you know, like I talked about before, what does DERMS look like from that standpoint? And then kind of all encompassing coming back to, you know, something that's very important to our membership is reliability from an outage management side of things, trying to get everything possibly on one platform as we kind of go down this path. So as I would say is you kind of round ball in, round ball out, which creates a lot more efficiencies from a, a system operator standpoint. Also, you're able to be a little bit more flexible because all the information's right at your fingertips. Great insight into what you're doing. I think one other thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, you have a robust generation program. Is that correct? That is a, a correct statement. Uh, right now, we have our subsidiary WH generation does have 15 generator units to the capacity of 50 megawatt total. But really, when we look at what we take off on average, it's about that 15 megawatts to 20 megawatts of load that we're able to shed at a, a point in time to help facilitate some of our load control. So we couple that right with our load of control, which that's why it, DERMS is so exciting to me is because it can really even bring us to that next level of how do we feather it in from a generation standpoint to load control on ACs or hot water uh, heaters. It's definitely fun and exciting to kind of see where we have been and where we're going. No, I love that. And it, it goes back to just as you were talking about that, that agile view of what's making up your system, right? So I can kind of start seeing where, where these different pieces are going to fit in. So it's, it's exciting. I'm excited to see where, where you go with it. One also important thing that I see with technology, whether you are at a co-op, um, working in the utility industry, or even just working you know, at a finance corporation like I am, is the importance that training plays for any kind of employee. But how does training fit in with what you're doing? Because there's so much change and shift and you're expecting even more, I think, as you add in more properties. What does that look like? How are you preparing your employees so that they're ready for all of this? That is a, a great question and it is ever-changing. There's no question about it. You know, you think about, you know, your fault location, uh, service restoration, Flizzer and being able to work on self-healing grids and do it safely. What I would say overall is you bring them in on the, the very front uh, and you kind of work through it with them. So then they get more buy-in, they understand it more, then you're able to touch it a little bit more too. Um, you have a little bit more confidence, you understand what's gonna happen, when it should happen, and what the safety protocols are behind it. So really ensuring that your staff understands where you're going and then also getting that change management of, do you have some employees that you're gonna to have to coach up or are some currently there? But uh, we're definitely bringing in a lot of new technology, a, not, a lot of new options that weren't here, let's call it five, six years ago. So from that standpoint, it is pivotal that we bring them along the journey and really make sure that we have that change management 
style that helps them come with on the journey because ultimately we're only as successful as the individuals that we we have running the grid. Do you foresee talent and retaining talent, bringing in new talent being a challenge for the future? That is, that is always, you know, something in the back of your head. Um, again, we have a, a great talent management side of things here um, within our HR department. Uh, they do a fantastic job for recruiting and all that. But yes, that is at the back of your mind. But, you know, just making sure that we're making those decisions at the times that we need them, because you're also looking at the timing side of things. When are they going to be needed? And then being able to execute a little bit before that. Now, I'm going to toss this back to Kurt, because as I'm thinking about talent, it also makes me think about other economic factors like supply chain. Kurt, can you tell me, in your planning, how does that impact what you're doing and what you're anticipating for on these infrastructure projects? Christine, that's a, that's a daily question for us here in the last couple of years. Supply chain has been very, very volatile, even though now it's starting to stabilize. Obviously, the lead times on equipment is still out quite a ways. I mean, we have some equipment that's two years away from arrival, so what we do is we try to plan two years ahead of time. And we're actually very fortunate here at Right Hennepin that our upper management and our board of directors have given us some latitude for pre-budget spending approvals. So like if we need to buy a substation transformer, let's say, and we know it's a two or three year build item, they're allowing us to go outside the current, say, budget and purchase this in advance or put money down towards it. So that helps a lot. I mean, to have the board support and the upper management support on this, because without that, I don't know how you'd make it work in today's environment. It's something that on is on the front of me and Lee's minds all the time. Our cable purchases, our transformers, our rubber goods, vehicles is another one that's very sensitive on this. Let alone the talent pool, there's getting them the right equipment to to bury wire or directional boring machines. All that stuff plays into account and we may contract more because we don't have that equipment or that could lead to more costs that we don't expect. So we're doing the best we can with the current situation. And I'd like to give some credit to some of our suppliers too, because they've been very upfront with us and keeping us informed, you know, when lead times on equipment are going to go long. And it's a team effort. If, if you come away from anything today, it's me and Lee work with a great team of people. I mean, it goes all the way all across the board. I've heard that too. I think we touched on relationships and the importance of relationships, not only with your colleagues, with your members, with your board, but with stakeholders, like you're saying, it could be potential. Who's delivering this? Who are we getting it from? Making sure you're having, you have that communication so you can plan for it, anticipate it correctly, right? Exactly. It's, it's a network. It's an ever-changing network, too. I mean, the technology is changing aggressively, but and trying to stay in front of that is very important. And implementing a lot of like what Lee was mentioning, that equipment, it sounds cool, but behind the scenes, there's a lot of labor hours that go into such a thing and a lot of checkouts. We have an apparatus department that's super strong in that area, and I, I want to give credit where credit's due. Our linemen, too, are they're not just climbing poles anymore. They're they're working on computers. They're doing work order closures. They're keeping things abreast of what's going on. And even in my department, I, there's work order specialists. There's worker accountants. Everyone's trying to push this all forward to keep it moving. And 
are my staking engineers, I think, been running wild for three years and they haven't slowed down. So it's a crazy world out there. Now I'm curious, how do you determine whether you need to hire a third party for your engineering needs or your planned projects versus doing it in-house? Do you see the need to do that? And kind of what are your determinations for it? To answer your question, yes. We, we're we in the middle of uh, completing, a, like I mentioned early on, our 10 to 15-year long-range plan. And we actually have a consultant helping us there because, for one, it provides labor hours that we don't have here to complete it. And it also gives a fresh perspective on, you know, if you live in the trenches, you don't see what's outside the trenches sometimes. So bringing someone in from the outside can give you a fresh set of eyes on things. And they've been very helpful in that process. So there's that. And then for gauging, uh, like getting a new engineer on staff or something like that, there's, we're constantly talking about different things like that. And we're in the process of developing different business plans to add staff. So it's a constant move forward type of event. And the more we grow, the more we need to expand staff and that type of thing. And now I imagine you both must have a role to play with your board of directors, whether that's keeping your CEO informed or are you directly involved with your board in terms of how this process is going for you? Just speaking for me, we get we go in front of the board with our presentations of what we're looking at for like technology. We do our uh, long range planning type of recommendations. We go for work plans. We go in front of the board, our upper management kind of handles maybe some of the day-to-day operations of that. And when they need specialty help or more of a detailed approach, Tim and Brian will ask us to step in and provide that detail. And Jen puts our board reports together. We got to give her some credit here because she keeps us all organized. So I think we all hopefully have a Jen who helps keep us organized. Uh, you definitely have to give those people credit. Now, I'm also curious you often have set a plan, right? And we talked a little bit about supply chain and that being potentially a reason that you have to pivot some of it. Do you have any other tips for what to do when the unexpected happens in any of the the planning that you do? There's varying times when stuff like that happens and the term have an open mind on certain ways and approaching things. Um, We run into uh, various things with like environmental reviews and stuff like that on equipment. Um, And we have to figure out timelines on all of a sudden this this might not work or different changes along those lines. I guess the term is relatively stay flexible, but still hold your direction, if that makes any sense. That does. One thing I did want to ask both of you, how do you work with the other executive leaders of your team um, and making sure that information is flowing not only downward, but back upward, right? So we talked a little bit about your board and how you give presentations um, and making sure you're keeping them informed. But what does that relationship look like with your CEO? So I would say early and often uh, when I say that is, you know, looking at uh, your plan forward, your strategic vision from uh, maybe an operations or engineering side of things for Kurt. But I would say, you know, if you do have an idea, right, uh, we have plenty of uh, ways to talk through it or even presentations that we do with Tim and we start kind of laying out that vision. He interns along with the other C-suite, Wendy and Brian, do a fantastic job of kind of putting us through our paces to make sure that, you know, it's well vetted. It's it's uh, something that brings a lot of value uh, when you look at the value streams from it and how much cost impact it has on the business unit. 
they're great to work with. And as long as you, you bring a, a great business case forward, they're always willing and open to hear anything that you have to say uh, from that standpoint and what new value streams are out there. That's just entering the market that we just need to maybe have a point of view on. Kurt, any insights from you? Lee kind of hit the nail on the head there. The one thing that like for Tim or dealing with Tim is, as he told me one time early on, he says, I want to know the change, good or bad, but just keep me informed as soon as you can. And that, that goes a long way with, I think, right Hennepin in general, our communication is solid. And if we have a situation, it's, we approach it as a group and try to deal with it accordingly. Yeah, as a communication professional, I mean, I hear it time and time again, whether you're working on a financial plan, a technology plan, just something around headquarters that the communication between the stakeholders is so critical because that's where a lot of breakdown occurs is if you don't hear about it soon enough. So I I absolutely love that. So you have a strategic plan, right? And yep. uh, you go ahead and take that strategic plan. What do you do there from it, from from your side of the, the business? Early on here at Wright Hennepin, when I was hired uh, a couple years ago, Tim challenged myself and Kurt to, what, what are your thoughts on uh, our overall technology plan? Can you put it together for me? What does it look like? And uh, Kurt and I sat in a, a conference room there for, for a bit drawing a bunch of circles, giving that high 50,000 foot level, but then breaking it down on each accord of what kind of value streams are, are we going to get out of this from uh, ADMS side of things? What do we get from grid management? So taking that concept of, uh, you know, where we want to go at a 50,000 foot level, but then also being able to articulate a granularity of just, for example, would be like a, a SADI improvement. How is it going to be impacted on SADI? What's that auto sectionalizing look like? How do you have more system efficiencies? How do you have load flow? Uh, and kind of building that all the way down into the value streams that your membership's going to actually experience. Thank you. I appreciate that. So I'm curious. Let's say you have a 10 to 15 year long-term engineering plan, which you potentially break down into a four-year building plan, right? I imagine that you might experience some changes within that time. How do you pivot when the assumptions of your original plans have changed? That happens more than you know, I would say. In the past, the 10-year plan was already outdated once it got printed in some cases because the load never goes where it's supposed to and it comes in at a different angle. On our current long-range plan, what we're trying to do is we're trying to put it together in a way where we can almost update it, say, on an annual or every couple-year basis where we actually look at kind of where we're headed to where we kind of expected to be. And if we need to change, we get to change earlier instead of, you know, all of a sudden doing a bunch of work that doesn't need to happen. And normally on our work plan, we look at that again anyways, because the projects have to agree with what's going forward. We can't really, it's not good financial sense to go upgrade something that you don't need it anymore just because you have it in a plan. So there's flexibility pretty much all the way through here. The long range plan can be adjusted is our goal currently to look at where we are, where we're at on our map. If we're not doing, say, enough in the EV space, maybe we need to do more or EVs are overtaking us, so our infrastructure needs improvement. That's kind of some of the concerns we have currently where we're doing some EV forecasting, but is it going to be there? 
and are we high enough? So we're looking at ranges of possibility as far as what our build out's going to look like. We're planning for a more of aggressive build out. And that I think is no matter how we look at this, most of our load is based on housing and expansion in our area and the EVs are coming in on top of that. So there's there's a lot of variables there. And we the way we handle this just to try to stay flexible and to kind of have a check and balance in place as we walk through it. I hope that answered your question. It sounds like you're looking through scenarios, right? So you're setting up what could happen from, you know, lower on the scale to, like you said, higher on that scale. And how do you stay within that? You might be planning for something that's a bit more aggressive, but you're you're looking at other options too. Exactly. Oh, that's a great way to put it. I think that's definitely gives a visual there for, for us visual people. And that's really helpful. I did want to kind of round this out with giving you the opportunity to put together maybe just three tips that you would come up with for other executive leaders looking at infrastructure planning in these respective areas. What do you think? How about uh, we'll go with Lee first? Oh, that's a, a great question there. What I would say first and foremost is communicate early and often. Uh, when I say that, whether it be to the executive team or to the board, to the frontline employees of uh, what is our vision and how are we going to get there. They might not know exact details, but trying to make that, uh, that delineation of uh, the path forward. Then I would say making sure that uh, alignment's there so it's not been done in a vacuum. One person's not making all the decisions because that can lead you astray. Um, making sure that everybody's on board from that standpoint and it's been challenged. The final thing is, is like you're talking about, is training to employees. We're in a time that uh, there's a lot of change in the technology space and even in the EV space from uh, infrastructure built. From that standpoint, I would say make sure that uh, your employees are ready for change management and, you know, they're ready for, for the future, whether it be technology or some of the new AI or even, let's even just call it the new areas that we're going to be building in. Great. And Kurt, how about you? I guess from my perspective, I would kind of say the old saying, the the what, why, and where. If you understand what you're you're dealing with and you have a direction, you want to give the why. And if you get buy-in, if you explain it to people why we're doing it and where we're going to do it, it's buy-in all the way from the, say, the board all the way down to the guy that's putting the wire in the ground. I mean, it's if they buy-in and don't understand why they're adding that wire out in the field, it helps go a long ways. And the other, the big thing I think is just keep your eyes up. Don't lose sight of your big picture. A lot of people get embedded in the weeds or go into the EV space thinking that's where it is. Well, don't forget there's a whole bunch of chargers that come with this and the variety of where is it all going to be and how's it going to impact areas that you might have classified as saturated, but somebody's putting that stuff in a house that's been there for 20 years. Um, There's a lot of flexibility that needs to be maintained. Great. Again, I could say from the start of this episode to the very end, the key words that I keep hearing across all four people are communicate early and often, flexibility, making sure you keep looking at things and you're keeping it all in perspective that you don't get so narrow and you're only looking at one item because there's so much that is changing. 
I truly thank you for joining me here today. I have to say this has been a great team execution. So obviously uh, you are great at working together because I think this is the biggest group that I have had on the podcast. So I thank you all for sharing your knowledge and experience with us today. Be sure to subscribe to CFC's Solutions Cast on your favorite podcast app to receive the latest episodes directly to your mobile device. And if you listen to CFC's Solutions Cast, be sure to check out CFC's Economic and Market Watch weekly podcast for economic and industry updates. Solutions Cast is a production of CFC.